welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony Andraki here with Andy Martinez, and we have a special podcast for you guys. We're in sunny Arizona right now. You might be able to tell if you're watching the video form on YouTube or on our app. But uh, spring training has kicked off. It's in full gear. But we're actually going to take you back to a time where it was colder, the sun wasn't out quite as often, uh, to Cubs convention. First time in a few years that uh, it happened at all, let alone in person. And we took that opportunity, Andy, to, to catch up with a bunch of former players, guys who are legends uh, within the fan base for so many different things they did. So we have chats on this podcast with both John Lieber. And then first up, we have Ted Lilly. So you actually sat down with Ted Lilly. You want to give us a little snapshot pre Preview of what it, what we're gonna hear. Yeah, Ted Lilly was great to talk to. He had some funny stories of him being a teammate with with Ryan Dempster. Ryan Dempster called him one of his favorite teammates. So it was great to chat about that from that perspective. And then just he's part he's back with the organization now as a scout and and how he's working towards trying to win another championship for for the Chicago Cubs in, in a different capacity. So that was really interesting to hear. Don't want to spoil too much more. So without further ado, let's take it back to CubsCon with Ted Lilly. Ted Lilly, Ted, thank you so much for joining us. I want to I want to start off by asking your about your name, Theodore Roosevelt Lilly. Is there a history buff in the family? Like, what's the the origin behind behind your name? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to sit down it. with you. So, yeah, my um, my great grandfather mm-hmm. uh, worked for Teddy Roosevelt at one point. This is kind of what I've gotten down from, you know, passed on from my dad, and he was. Uh, you know, he was uh, um, just a great inspiration, yeah. you know, for so many people. And, and he admired him a great deal and then ended up naming my grandfather Theodore Roosevelt Lilly. Yeah. Um, and then kind of kept that going. And, and um, my, my son's actually the fourth. So. so the fourth, hopefully the lineage continues. I don't know. I definitely won't give him a hard time if, if, he, uh, if he's had enough. Yeah. Did you research a lot of uh, Teddy Roosevelt growing up, just given the history and, and thoughts on him? Um, more so, uh, more so when I got a little older and, and yeah, um, out of school, uh, you know, kind of some of the recent history and the impact that he had on our country um, during a time of need. Um, yeah. So yeah, a pretty incredible human being yeah. in a lot of ways. So uh, yeah, so it's it's a pretty good namesake to have. Yeah, very good. Uh, in 2006, the Cubs had a 90 loss season you signed with the team after that you know was it what made the Cubs at Chicago somewhere a place you wanted to be because you know, at that point in your career I'm, I'm, I'm assuming a 90 loss team isn't always the the most appealing place to, to go yeah so um, going back to that you know obviously the city is incredible that the, the history in terms of just like the I, I think the fan base first is the attraction yeah um, and I definitely wanted to go somewhere and win. Yeah. Um, that was a priority, no doubt. And, and, uh, and it was a hesitation, like, that we were going to be able to build a club good enough to have a chance. Um, my conversations, you know, with Jim along the way were what other pieces, you know, were we going to add on to try and create depth as, as well. When we, when we signed Alfonso Soriano, Obviously, that was a pretty big statement that we were going to be aggressive um, and try and rebuild the club. And then um, we brought in that year, we brought in Mark DeRosa, we brought in Jason Marquis. Um, 
I'm trying to think of some of the some of the other pieces that he put together. You know, found a way to uh, you know utilize you know various resources. I think they had made a trade too. So, anyways, um, getting to it. So Jim um, Jim was very confident that uh, we were we were going to be in the mix. And I also I also liked how he you know there was no guarantees too. You know, you yeah. just in the game we, you can put the you can put the the best team on the field. Um, statistically and going forward, you don't know what you're going to, you know, what your club's going to be able to do. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the, the straightforwardness that that Jim had about him, the way that he communicated, um, I felt uh, I, I felt confident in who who he was um, and what his intentions were. So we um, and I think we had a u- unique group of guys that. Uh, um, of guys that really, really wanted to bring this championship, you know, to Chicago, we we weren't able to do it. But I, you know, look looking back, you know, there's there's definitely like, um, other than the fact of not being able to win win a championship, there's uh, I, I feel pretty pretty grateful to compete with the group that we had. Yeah, you mentioned a guy Alfonso Soriano in Atlanta. He was he had a series where he was red hot, had three home runs in a game. And the next day he's plunked, and, and then you plunked Edgar Renteria. Was that something, do you remember that? And is that something that, or how important was it to stick up for your teammates in, in moments like that? Yeah, so I, I do remember it. Um, Alfonso had, I, I think what had happened is, yeah, he was he was really hot. He'd hit a ball and, and, and kind of stood there and enjoyed it for a little bit. And one of the balls didn't go out of the ballpark. And uh, and their their dugout erupted a little bit, which I understand. Um, Alfonso had a ton of fun playing baseball. Yeah. Um, and, and not you know not really you know it wasn't really showy um, for the sake of like separating himself. He just really enjoyed the game. So and, and he wasn't I guess more than anything he wasn't doing it to show anyone up. That wasn't right. his intentions. But anyway, so so Tim Hudson, who's a who's a friend drilled him the next the next day I think or at the end of the game and then um, yeah I, I did you know I did feel like you know there was there was intent there um, and and I uh, and I ended up hitting Edgar Renteria leading off the game I think and then yeah. got ejected is yeah. that right yeah. if I recall was it important to to for you to be a, a good team I don't want I don't want necessarily a good teammate but to stand up for your teammates uh to be in that moment, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, I think it is. We're, you know, we're, um, uh, you know, we're going out there and, and and battling every day, and I think you expect the same from your teammates. But also, there there are times where uh, we need to hold each other accountable on things that we're doing too. So, um, you know, when there's when there's that kind of trust amongst teammates, you know, I, I feel like a teammate can come up to me and let me know that you know there's there's an issue there's something they're not comfortable with and that, and that happened on occasion where you know someone like Derek Lee um, one of the you know one of the most professional individuals that I ever I ever competed with um, would would do that in a, in a way that he felt like was best for the club yeah. and so um, you know sometimes it's you know I think we also you know kind of need to um, need to be held accountable within our own within our own clubhouse I want to ask. Uh, there's, there's a moment. Uh, Carlos Zambrano throws the no hitter against the uh, against the Astros in Milwaukee. The next day, you took a no hitter 
deep into the game yourself, specifically into that in that game, when do you start realizing, hey, I've got something going, and does it make it a little tougher to pitch? Does it make it a little more nervy? What's kind of the emotions going through in that in that situation? Yeah, I, I remember that, and actually Giovanni Soto uh, brought that up last night. Um, <laughs> I think he, you know, he was saying I, he was he would have been the first catcher to catch back-to-back no-hitters. Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was just um, I did realize that, that uh, I had a no-hitter going, I think, after like five or five innings. Um, I don't remember I, how many innings I ended up going, but I, maybe I gave up a hit in the seventh, mm-hmm. um, something like that. So it was just fun. Yeah. It was. Uh, it would have been a fun thing to do um, and a cool thing for the franchise. And yeah. So. But is, is, do you feel any emotions when, when you're in there? Like, do you maybe subconsciously start doing things differently or do you try not to think about it too much? Um, I mean, certainly aware of what's going yeah. on. Um, and it's... Yeah, it's just I, I don't I don't feel like the the thought of and or or being conscious of having a no hitter intact really affected it. It's just um, it's just difficult to you know to execute pitches and yeah. and you make a mistake and and uh, and 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 you know guys are going to capitalize. So um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't able to finish that one off, but but it was still it was still fun. 2009, you get named to the All-Star Game in St. Louis. What was that experience like? I mean, you had to know you're going to get some booze regardless of uh, what you do because because of given where you're at. Yeah, so going in going into that, so kind of the a little bit of the the history. Yeah, being being a Cub for sure, um, but it may have been three weeks before um, there was a collision with Yadier Molina at the home plate. I I ended up. Um, not not sliding and kind of um, I, I think that he anticipated a slide uh-huh. um, and Yachty had to come out of the game so that so I think the fans were up, upset about that and there was you know some uh, some feeling that uh, that I should have just peeled off yeah uh, uh, Ryan Dempster we had him on our podcast not too long ago he mentioned your one of the one of his favorite teammates was, was you was there uh, was there a Frank or anything that you can kind of peel behind the curtains that, that you pulled on Demp, or do you have a favorite one that you uh, favorite moment with Demp that you mess with him? Um, yeah, we we had we had a ton of fun, and you know, just talking about teammates, thinking of some of the guys that you know that we had during that time that were an important part of the glue and brought people together. Um, I don't know if anyone was better than than Demp, at, yeah. you know, um, at kind of unifying a club. Mark DeRosa was one of the best. Henry, we had Henry Blanco during that time. So, um, but there was, yeah, there were some pranks going back and forth. He had gotten me one one day pretty good in spring training, and I had uh, during the game, spring training game, I went into went into the locker and put some red hot on his jeans, uh-huh. his, his underwear and some jeans. And so, um, I think I've told this story before, but. When he felt it on his underwear, he threw his underwear out and just put his 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 jeans on or shorts, and didn't realize that I that I had put the red hot on that part too. And um, after the game ended, we were we were going to go play some golf. He uh, um, 
I'm already on the freeway, and he passes me with one leg out the window, and the <laughs> and the window down, and the AC blasting. Uh, so trying to trying to cool off his his uh, his junk. So so, so the, the the prank worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and it's you know with Ryan it's pretty risky. Yeah. Because uh, he he can come over the top with the best of them. That's that's pretty awesome. That's a good one, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask. You mentioned about success, be, wanting to have success with the Cubs and having a successful team in 07. For you, how aware were you? Are the guys in the clubhouse aware of you know the 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 drought or the curse, whatever you want to call it? And how much was that? Hey, we want to we want to be the team that that does it. We want to be the team that wins it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think it was something that we were all you know super aware of and and motivated <clears throat> motivated by like having that opportunity yeah. we, you know we knew that we had a uh the talent to do it um just you know i i think maybe there was like we we put more pressure on ourselves than yeah. than needed and, and instead of like you know maybe trying to do too much in october sure. i think i i kind of um you know looking back on on my start you know that October start, I, I felt like I um, I needed to um, you know pitch the best game of my life instead of just doing what I do and make pitches and not try and do too much kind of thing. So maybe we all had a little bit of that uh, because we wanted it so yeah. bad. But uh, so fortunately, you know, it took us a few more years, but um, you know, but we were able to get a championship, and you know, this club was the city was able to celebrate a you know a world series so what was that 2016 run like for you like how much did you watch how much were you uh, either emotionally attached to it or physically attached watching the games how, how exciting oh was that? kind of in every way yeah yeah, yeah kind of in tune with what was going on um you know throughout the season and then of course into the playoffs and uh yeah it was just uh the, i think the the group the group of guys obviously talented for sure yeah um, hungry, focused, uh, a great, you know, uh, a great divisional leadership um, on that club. It was a pretty special group. So, and and now you're a member of the organization. Just to be back with the organization, what does that mean to you? And how special is it to to try and be a, a foundational piece in some way uh, of trying to win another championship? Yeah, I feel. Uh, first thing is just to still be connected to the, this organization. I feel super yeah. grateful. Um, you know, it's something I. I think about constantly about how how lucky I am, um, and I'm working in the scouting department now. We we have a, a tremendous group of people that yeah. are very hungry, want to contribute, work really hard, um, spend the extra time, always thinking about turning you know turning everything over, trying to find out ways that we can be a little bit better. Um, those guys on the ground compete. Uh, so, um, to be a part of a group that, and, and I guess for me, it, it really does still feel like it kind of, um, it fills something that I need, which is a little bit of competition factor in my life. And, uh, so, um, yeah, we're, we're out there trying to, you know, trying to find some, some future Cubs that help, help us win October baseball games. Ted, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it, and uh, it was a blast to have you on. Okay, absolutely. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300.
You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? $300? Get your exclusive card at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing level. That was a great conversation with Ted Lilly back at Cubs convention and, and hearing now what he's doing with the, with the organization, trying to win a ring. You caught up with another Cubs legend, John Lieber. What was that kind of conversation like and what was it like talking to him? Yeah, it was really cool. It was a guy that as a young baseball fan growing up in Chicago, he was a he was a guy I saw pitch a ton. And, you know, it was always really cool to see him go out and shove for five, six, seven, eight, nine innings. Uh, definitely kind of a throwback in that regard. And also one of the more recent 20-game winners in Cubs history as well. So it was really cool. He talked about one of his favorite games and maybe the best game he's ever pitched, included several rain delays and pitching through all of that. Uh, he talked about his all-star game appearance. And then coming back to the team in his second stint in 2008, he was a reliever. I feel like a lot of people forgot, I kind of forgot until I was researching, that he was a part of that team as a reliever. Talked about playing for Lou Pinella, what it was like as a part of that team. So it was a really fun chat with, with John Lieber, a guy that I grew up watching a ton of. All right, we're here with John Lieber now at the Cubs convention. And, John, how has everything gone for you here? What's it like being back at the convention and seeing fans again? Oh, I mean, this is just great. It's just uh, it's an honor to always get invited back to these events and, and to see familiar faces that I've been around for the past few years. and and the fans and um, you know just catching up on on some things we've gone through through the year and and really with uh, ex-teammates talking about the old times so it's uh, it's always a pleasure to to be around in this environment what number convention is this for you how many have you been to do you know oh even while even while i was playing yeah. uh oh probably i would say about 12 or 13. okay yeah what's it like then i know your son's here like what's it like taking him and being a part of this as, as a father as well. Well, it's it's really it's really nice uh, because the kids remember um, when they were when I was playing and they were younger. Uh, this was uh, the one event um, they really enjoyed out of all the teams that I've been with that they always love to come back and, and be a part of. And you know I can't say enough how much the Cubs have treated my family, my kids, um, and how the fans have been great towards my family. It's. Uh, it's just really nice to see, and like I said, they, they really enjoy it and they look forward to this time of year. What do you what have you been up to since your playing career has ended? Like, how do you kind of spend most of your time? Is it as a father, or do you get have you dabbled in coaching, or like, what's your post career look like? That's it's really slowed down quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm not involved with uh, with with the game as much as maybe I'd like to be, but um, you know, my kids are they they've gotten much older. I've got two that are in college, one that's about ready to start driving. One that's about ready to get married, um, so you know that aspect of their life is you know is moving forward. But for me, it's just finding finding little things around. You know, I'm, I'm down in Mobile, Alabama, and um, just dabbling dabbling around with with you know uh, kids, maybe helping them one on one in sessions and, and so forth. I bought some real estate years ago. I've 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 been uh, dealing with that, and um, but I, I think uh, the next phase of my life here. Um, I'd really, I'm kind of maybe looking to maybe get back into it a little bit more. Um, okay. And, you know, since the kids have kind of grown up and moved on. What would you like to get into? Would it be more coaching or have you always had an eye at something like that? Not not really. I think, I, you know, I, I like the flexibility if I could um, because I, I do, I have family back in Iowa and I like to be able to get up and go see them if I have to, you know. Um, you know, my dad's getting up there in age and so if, if there was an opportunity to where something was flexible and 
I could come in and do something for you know a few weeks or a month and then have a month off or whatever, I think that would be great. You know, I don't know if that is realistic, but it's just may, maybe uh, put it in somebody's ear. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> so how much baseball do you watch now, and um, how have you seen consume the game as a fan different than when you were pitching? Like how, how different, I guess, is it? Because now we're talking about no shifts. Obviously, in the time since you were done pitching, like there were, the shifting started, and now we're not shifting again. We're back to when you were pitching. Like, how different is this game, and how do you view it as a? How consumer? much time do we got to talk about this? I have plenty of time. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. No, it's uh, obviously the game has changed quite a bit since um, my last uh, playing days. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's it's terrible. It's just it, there's there's a few things I'm not a big fan on. I think. Um, the analytical side, I think there's there's some good things about it. Uh, I think it's overused, in my opinion. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, uh, being in situations um, and being a part of that situation, really understanding what's going on in the batter's box or on the pitcher's mound. Um, I don't think you can really concentrate on numbers, on how you're going to get somebody out, if that makes sense. That's one part. Um, I have a hard time watching the game. I feel like uh, as a pitcher, there's, there's not much pitching going on, if that makes sense. I feel like it's trying to strike everybody out. Um, I was more of a, a pitcher that pitched to contact and really tried to get my teammates on and off the field you know, as quick as possible and not try to overpower everybody. But I understand the fans really love that. Um, you know, there, there's a big part of the game for the fans in that, and, you know, numbers or whatever. But... Um, I keep up with the moves and you know who's going where and you know what's happening on each team and, and stuff like that. But that that's basically about it. So, touch on your career a bit. When you joined the Cubs, you know after the '98 season, going into '99, like how much did you know, I guess, about the franchise and Wrigley Field and this fan base, and how did reality kind of meet your expectations? Well, there there was a you know as a visiting player and a, and a kid growing up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, you know, which is. A lot of Cubs fans from there. Sure, I had yeah. a, a good friend of mine, Paul Lane, um, who was a huge Cubs fan. We'd watch games as teenagers growing up, and um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really follow baseball. I think I followed my older brother and his footsteps, uh, what team he was, he was following. But when I came over here um, as a visiting player, you know, it was intimidating to play in this ballpark because all you heard about was how small it was, the winds blowing out, and so forth. Um, you know, but when I came over here and became a part of the team, uh, man, I really appreciate it. The history behind it, uh, the fan base, uh, which which was really awesome. Um, and I just kind of really grasped it. And believe it or not, I love the day games. Um, yeah. I was a huge day game guy. We heard that from a lot of people this weekend, <laughs> yeah. actually, just that, how much they love the day games. The day, Yeah, the day games, I don't know what it is. I know position players probably don't like it as much. But, you know, as a pitcher, it was just something about the day games. And uh, I really loved it. I think I... I think I pitched well in the day games and, um, you know, just enjoyed my time while I was here. And then in 2000, you were the opening day starter when the Cubs went to Japan. Mm -hmm. And what was that experience like to, one, play there in Japan and kind of open the season like that, but then, two, to be the opening day starter for the team during that experience? Awesome. Something I'll never forget. Uh, so honored to be a part of that, um, you know, to, to, to be the first team to travel outside the United States and have a game that actually counts. And... You know, to be on a, you know, that winning, that winning team that day, uh, it's just something I'll never forget. You know, and um, you know the kids. I think they they look back on it now and they think it's kind of cool. And you know, I may I may never make it to the Hall of Fame. Well, I know I won't, <laughs> but I know I'll have a piece of history there. 
because people have told me, you know, you know, Mike Hampton's ball's there, my ball's there, and that's just something, you know, uh, that they can never take away, you know, from, from myself or this organization. So. And then the following season you won 20 games. Is that something you're most proud of in your career is, or is it maybe starting in Japan, or like what, what kind of stands out and what did winning 20 games kind of mean to you the most? It, it really meant a lot. You know, I was, um, I think I was on the cusp of, you know, doing, doing, doing great things in the game at that time. And I'll never forget, I was, I was challenged by my pitching coach, Oscar Acosta. Uh, you know, I've, uh, through, through my career, you know, I've had coaches come up to me and challenge me in situations because they, they, see, they see more things that, that I can accomplish or, or do out there on the ball field. And so I took him up on that challenge and, you know, had a breakout season. But to be honest with you, it really had nothing to do with me. It was with my teammates. I really give all the credit to them. You know, without them making the play or without them driving in the run, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not in those situations. Or, you know, Joe Girardi was a big presence for me that year behind the dish. Um, you know, he really guided me through that season to have his presence back there. And um, without those guys, you know, uh, I don't think that season ever happens. Can you explain a little bit about what a catcher like Girardi, how they can impact the pitcher and how important that pitcher-catcher dynamic is? Because I think some fans maybe think that some of that is overblown or, you know, they hear the personal catcher thing, right? Like here, yeah. John Lester, David Ross had that. But how important is it to, to have that pitcher-catcher relationship from a pitcher's perspective? It's huge. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I'd rather have a catcher that hits 220, maybe 10 home runs a year but can, can call an outstanding game. That, now, that doesn't go to say all the catchers I've had throughout my career, they're all terrible or whatever. Um, they're all you know, good players, great players, whatever. But I want the guy that's, that's into the game, understands what's going on back there, can relate, relate to you know, every pitcher that comes in. And I've had those guys throughout the years, you know, uh, Girardi, John Flaherty, Todd Pratt, um, you know, um, my, uh, Lance, uh, Oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, pitcher. It was catcher for the Tigers um, back in the '70s. He was my first catcher, Lance Parrish. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's a throwback. Yeah. Uh, he was my first catcher when I made it to the big leagues. I mean, guys like that um, had a huge impact on my career. So uh, I think you know those guys can really can really help a pitching staff and can make it much better. What do you consider the best game you ever pitched? It doesn't have to be in a Cubs uniform, but I know you had a 78-pitch complete game with the Cubs. Yeah. Was it that one? It was, was that, that one. It yeah. was? It really was. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of things that went on in that game. Um, you know, the two rain delays. Uh, I think we had an hour and a half rain delay to start off the start off the game, so we were pushed back. But And then after four innings, I think we had another hour rain delay. And, um, you know, as Glendon rushes, <laughs> uh, you know, we had a, another hour rain delay, and you know, it's and then to be able to come back out and finish the game like that, it was just uh, and under two hours too. It was just it was unbelievable. So, how did you stay ready during all those game delays? <laughs> well, delays, you know, it's um, what's funny is you know you get to the fourth inning, you think normally you'd have 40, 60 pitches or whatever, and I knew I didn't have a lot of pitches up to that. To that, to that point, and Oscar came up to me. I was staying warm on the bike, and he said, how do you feel? 
I said, I feel, feel great. And I really did. He goes, okay. He goes, you only got 20 pitches after four innings. And I, I that was just mind-boggling to me. I said, yeah, I, I you know, feel like I just warmed up, basically. So he just wow. said, just stay loose. You're going to go back out. And, you know, like I said, my arm wasn't affected by that whatsoever and was able to just kind of pick up where I left off. All right, so put in perspective, 20 pitches. How many pitches did you usually have to warm up for a start? Like in the 30 <laughs> range, right, maybe? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I mean, for me, it didn't, you know, I, I didn't warm up for a long period of time. I Yeah, 20 to 30 pitches, maybe. So you were just warming up, essentially, <laughs> by the time the rain yeah. delay happened. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, where does the All-Star game appearance, like, what was that like in getting to face a guy like Jeter? And I think Jeter actually might have homered off of you. Not to bring see, that up. Jeter, uh, Maglio, back-to-back. Uh, -back. Um, no, it, the, the whole experience was something I'll never forget. That's another part of my, my career I, you know, I really cherish. Um, you know, unfortunately, my kids, uh, I don't think Justin was around at that time, but um, I wish they were a little bit older to really appreciate it. But, uh, man, what an experience. It was, it was awesome. I had my whole family out there. But, you know, when I came out there and I gave up the home run to Jeter, then Maglio hit another one off me, and I had nobody out. You know, and I'm just trying. I turn. I'll never forget turning around, going, "Oh my God!" You know, just please get me an out or something. Don't, don't embarrass yourself out here. But uh, you know, it. You know, it was it was a great great time. Just something I'll never forget. What did it mean to you to be named to the All Star team and just that validation that everything you've been doing in your career, you were recognized by your peers and and by the league as one of the best pitchers in the game. Well, it means a lot. You know, I, I think I had a little bit of help along the way, people mentioning some things. I think Don Baylor, you know, probably had some input, I think, as well as Oscar, Joe Girardi, I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm sure they talk about it to certain people. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be in certain situations or in those, in those things without the help of those people that were behind me. Then fast-forwarding a bit, you were actually rejoined the Cubs then and were on the 2008 team as a reliever. What was that experience like from your perspective? You know, obviously the Cubs were one of the best teams in the league that year. And, yeah. you know, we talked a, a little bit about Mike Fontenot earlier, just about, like, how good that team was going to the playoffs and the class of the National League and everything. Just what was it like for you to be a part of a team like that in, in kind of your second stint there with the team? It was great. Um, yeah, I remember talking to Jim Henry in the offseason, hopefully having a chance. I was just coming off of uh, <coughs> foot surgery. Um, so I was out for the last two months of the season in 07 and talking to Jim and he, he was able to bring me back and which, uh, you know, I was, I really wanted to come back to Chicago that year. Um, I knew my career was winding down and that possibly could be, uh, my last year in the big leagues. And so when I had that opportunity to come back and be around those guys, uh, I'm not just saying this, that was probably the, the best, the most fun. I've had in the big leagues was playing with those guys that year. It was what? just, I don't know. It's just, a, it was just an extraordinary group. I mean, everybody, I mean, it was a close knit group. I mean, I played on some close knit teams. Uh, the 97 pirates, uh, we were pretty close. Uh, the Yankees in 04 were close, pretty close group, but just something about that team. I don't know what it was, but, uh, you know, I had, had, a you know, a lot of, a lot of fun that year. I, I've asked some players this too. The idea of chemistry and how it translates to winning on the field. What's your thought on that? And, and how do you, how does chemistry matter in the clubhouse, and then translate into wins on the field? How do you guys get that to work out? I guess. Well, it's huge. Um, I've I've always believed that, you know, that's the part of the game that 
not everybody sees is really what goes on in the clubhouse. And, you know, if you have one bad guy or two bad guys or whatever, it can really distract a team or, or bring a team down. Um, you know, so to have that chemistry and a manager, I've always believed that um, having a manager that that's a good communicator and be able to talk to the players because you never know what's going on in that player's life and home. Um, and if they bring that to the field, that's going to be a huge distraction. And you got to have everybody on their A game because it is. It's a lot of games during the year. And if you don't have everybody on the same page, you know, bad things can start happening. So chemistry is a huge part. Um, you know, I, I've always believed the, the best manager I've been around that, that was a very, very good communicator with his, with his, with his team was um, Charlie Manuel. You know, I don't think Charlie gets a lot of credit, but Charlie was an exceptional manager. And all that boils down to is being able to communicate with his players and getting to know them and you know, finding out what's going on. So, One more for you before we let you go. What was your perspective watching the Cubs win it all in 2016, and what kind of emotions did you feel? Because, like we said, obviously being here in 2008 as a team that maybe seemed destined for it, first stint with the team, like understanding what a championship means to this city, this fan base, seeing it finally come to fruition. What was that like for you? I mean, it was really, it was really awesome. I mean, um, you may think this is kind of weird, but I was excited for the team, you know, obviously, but I was more excited for the fans. Okay. Um, because the years I played here, um, you know, the, the biggest compliment I've ever gotten was from the fan base or from people that worked at the stadium was saying, you know, hey, John, you know, we really appreciate your time spending with us and talking to us and how humble you are. And, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but I, I just tried to treat everybody like myself, you know. And, and so when they won it, I thought about all those fans that were yearning for that championship and how much it meant to them. You know, all the years that either their grandfather didn't stick around to be able to see them win it or their mom or dad or, you know, you know, somebody like that. And that's what I got excited about was just for the whole city of Chicago and, you know, the Cubs fan, you know, nationwide. Well, John, thanks so much for stopping oh, by. Absolutely. I really appreciate the chat. You bet. Thank you so much. All right, it was great catching up with John Lieber, and Andy, you got a chance to catch up with Ted Lilly. So really fun podcast overall to talk about some throwback pitchers in Cubs history. We'll have a couple more interviews from Cubs convention still. We have Miguel Montero, Darwin Barney, a couple of guys who are uh, famous from the fan base for a multitude of reasons throughout Cubs lore here. So stay tuned for that on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, as well as other spring training coverage. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. As always, we are presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast and check us out in video form on the marquee sports network app and youtube